We're here with Zetu, who is one of our fellow directors at Conflict Dynamics. Zetu was also the ombud at the University of Cape Town until the end of 2020 and is currently the Africa Regional Chairperson for the International Ombud Association. So we're really happy to be able to share all this amazing experience there too, about the role, the skills you need as an ombud and the benefits that this position brings to universities, but also other institutions. So Zetu, um, let's just start with, you know, what is an ombud and why do universities or other organizations need this position? Well, an ombud is a designated individual who is ideally fairly senior, somebody who can be approachable, who's willing and available to listen from all sources across the board. And the person, even though is within this, you know, the appointing institution, but is independent from that institution and is also a resource that works outside of formal structures. So it does not report in any way internally. That helps, in fact. Um, my experience is that the whole issue of being independent and confidential was what helped people coming to talk to me about their problems. That sounds interesting, Zetu, because it kind of connects with some of the principles of mediation. I mean, exactly. the, the mediator being um, independent and yes. the mediator really relying on that confidentiality principle. Another to talk about mediation, another aspect that's very linked to mediation is the whole issue of the language that you use. As, as mediators, you know, we talk about not being judgmental, not being attached, but open to outcome, facilitating a process and not owning it because it's not yours. So as ombuds, we don't own the problems because we have to remain impartial. If anything, we are for fairness and justice over and above the parties who are involved in an issue. So, so talking about the language that you use, we make sure, I mean, ombuds come from all sorts of spectrums. I mean, you get lawyers, you get accountants, engineers, human resource specialists, people who come from social sciences, maybe there's, there's a bias there on my part. They have a way of, of listening and choosing words that are fitting, that are very non-legal. For an example, people who come to us ombuds, we don't call them clients, we call, we call them visitors. So, um, you know, the, the, the issues they bring or the concerns they bring, we don't call them matters like one would do in a legal sense. So the whole issue of language is very important. Why would an organization have an ombud? I mean, let's be specific. Why would a university specifically need an ombud? I, I think it's, it's, it's common sense. You know, when you have a group of people, at some point there will be conflict, there will be disagreements. So you do need, you do need somebody who is distant yet close, trusted that these things will be raised to that person confidentially. Otherwise, in the absence of an ombud, you find yourself having to have things like whistleblower lines and then having to make sure that you, you protect the people, you make the promises that half the time are rarely fulfilled. Yet with the ombud, you don't need that. By definition, the person is a resource that guarantees confidentiality. 
And the gain is that you get feedback. You know what's not working, then you fix it. You as the ombud get feedback. No, no, no. As, as, as an appointing institution, you know, uh, if it's a university, the university would know which parts of, of my establishment is faltering, what policies are no longer viable, what is the experience on the ground, what is it that I'm not seeing or hearing. So the ombud is almost a, a confidential filter to filter information and concerns from different stakeholders in the organization to maybe the management or the leadership where changes can be made in order to address those issues. Is that what you're suggesting? Precisely. You you know, the OMUT is the conscience of the institution because you have your mission, you have your values, but they can only be tested through experience. So once people feel like You know, they say they are about this and the experience is different. Then people come to the ombud. Then the ombud will highlight that as a gap. Then once you know the gaps, you block them. Well, that seems like an extremely useful office to have um, within a university, but but any any organization really. But going to the university environment where, where you're very familiar with this role, what are the types of issues that would come to your office? without breaching confidentiality, of course, just in terms of the trends and the patterns that you would see. I mean, what maybe thinking about the issues, but also the, the stakeholders who would, who would come to your office with issues. The South African approach, even though not all universities here have ombuds, is that you get one person, you know, one ombud, who will look after a very broad list of stakeholders students, academics, undergrads, postgrads, postdocs, and and deans, you know, (laughs) consultants to universities, visiting academics, and and people who have relationships with with the university. They could be service providers, or they could be people who get service from the services that universities offer to the public, like legal support, etc. So shall anything go wrong there, people can still approach the ombud funders it's a very it's a very broad you know list of of users parents as stakeholders of the students who come to universities fascinating so it really is broad and you said that that in south africa there's a kind of a more generalist approach in other universities is is that i mean maybe abroad is, is that different? Do you have a specialist ombud for specific areas? Well, abroad, um, sometimes they separate. You get a student ombud for some universities, and then you get another, you know, ombud that will then see to, to academics, or you get big offices where, you know, the ombudsman service is, is rendered, and there you get associates dealing with specifics. Somebody will be dealing with the health sector, uh, the health department for the university, another will be dealing with another section, etc. So it's, it's very diverse in terms of how it is dissected. And your role specifically would be to listen, to, um, to really understand what the issues are, and then to be able to access the institution to address those. Is that correct? Pretty much, you you listen, and 
sometimes people tend to ask, how do you tell if all the, if the complaints aren't vexatious? I mean, people take chances, human beings are human beings. I can tell you now that in the 10 years I was at UCT at least, and, and, and I'm naming the institution, the reason being that that's what universities are for. Universities are educational spaces. And outside being at UCT, I've also played a role of supporting other institutions who, you know, universities who are starting ombuds programs. So going back to whether or not all issues are true and honest, in the time that at least I worked for one university on a full-time basis, it was just twice that um, I realized that, you know, there's nothing here. But even when there is nothing, there's also value in listening because there being nothing in the issue is not, at least for one issue, one person, it was not about the person taking chances, but it was from sheer misunderstanding of what was explained because of how it was explained, which then explain the broader role of the ombuds because ombuds make clear the makey, so to speak, be it a policy, be it a procedure, how it is administered versus what the person understands or its original intention. So it is, again, just the the opportunity to really have a safe space that people can bring their concerns to and, and then unpack them with someone who may be able to give an explanation, facilitate a conversation within the institution that could clarify issues and therefore manage conflicts that, that otherwise may arise. Precisely. So okay. other than or beyond listening, we do other things. I mean, upward feedback, like you just mentioned, is one of those things. But also the shuttle diplomacy. Sometimes we coach people to deal with the problems themselves. Or given how power is sometimes used in institutions, then the ombud becomes that person who raises the issue with the office concerned, especially where clarity around what is at stake is required. Or, or the ombud knows that whatever outcome will lead to a bigger shift than this issue. Let's say there's a policy that must be revised, or there's a policy that should be in place, but it's non-existent. Yet there are many concerns calling for the presence of that particular policy. It sounds like a paradox because here I'm talking about policies being put in place. I'm not a, well, I'm not a policy person. Governance has its place. And these policies must be implemented because they have a reason. They govern relations and and how institutions are run. But as ombuds, we also have a responsibility to encourage institutions to be discretion competent. Not every problem. I mean, policies are, are written by people based on a set of known problems, but there's no way a human being can know problems known now and yet to be seen. So not every problem can be addressed by some reference to an existing policy. There could be problems that are so fresh and so challenging that you need to have courage to actually say on a case-by-case basis, For this issue, 
I'm going to park the policy and act in this way for these reasons. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the policy for that matter. So my experience was that when I, when I encouraged people to take that route, they will then say, doesn't that mean I've been unfair to however many students, for an example, where I applied this policy to the letter? And the point is, those people, there was no ombud perhaps at the time, and maybe it was the right thing. I don't know the specifics of the case, but looking at the problem at hand now. So, so um, you know, law is powerful in that way because people start to think about not wanting to create a precedent. Yet I'm saying resolve the issue for what it is. What is fair in these circumstances? So it's kind of really a, a fresh investigation in each and every situation, taking taking the full picture um, exactly. into consideration rather than being bound by the law or the policy or the rules, so to speak. Yes. Yet we're not saying people must bend. In my view, that is not bending the rules. That is respecting and recognizing the rule, not speaking to the emerging problem. And if you if you look at it, a lot of the in, the definitions of ombuds are often about investigating organisations where there are complaints. And as we know, as mediators, often you know the complaints are only the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. You know, we we love that analogy of the iceberg, but it's really it's someone's complaint is really only a fraction of what has gone before. And it sounds as if the ombud really has that responsibility of investigating what has gone before, not only factually, but in terms of people's expectations maybe, or um, people's emotions, or how they've been treated in a situation, rather than just the, the actual complaint or concern. Precisely. Zeta, would you ever, ever in, a, in an ombud role, be called on to make a decision? Well, no, no. And I think that's the freedom us ombuds have because we give feedback to others to make decisions, yet we do review their decisions and then we tell them what's not helping the situation around the decision itself. We review decisions, but even the final decision, the fair decision must be made by another. So from us, it's a recommendation. So the question is whether or not the recommendations are binding. And in them binding or not, it was once or twice in my experience where I uh, proposed or rather, you know, gave a recommendation and it, it was not implemented. And when that happens, there's a conversation that has to happen as to why are you not taking this recommendation? And because the, the reasons were not convincing, then as ombud, because we report to the highest structure, then you have capacity to actually say, I recommended this and it's not happening. And then, you know, a bigger voice speaks to say, we also agree this is important, what's holding you back, then they start, they start talking timelines. So, so there is at the end of the day, always a final decision-making as to whether the, the recommendations of an ombud would be accepted or not. The spirit, the spirit is that they are, 
you know, they are accepted or acceptable because before you get to even to the final recommendations, they are not thumbsacked. They are drawn from all the things that's been happening or appearing during the year. So by the time things get to the, you know, final report and recommendations are made, those issues are familiar. But it's so there would have been a conversation throughout the year throughout with the, year. the people yes. involved. Okay. The people involved. So there are no, no surprises. Otherwise, mm. we'll be ambushing people, which ombuds should not do. Well, it certainly seems like an extremely holistic view on, on dealing with, with disputes in an environment. And as you explained it when we started this conversation, is it's a complex environment. So there are student concerns, there are administrative concerns, there are academic concerns. There's so many stakeholders in the tertiary education space that I guess from from a dispute resolution perspective, the more ways that people can deal with their concerns, the better. And this certainly sounds like a very holistic space for dealing with those issues. So in the South African context, you were saying some universities have ombuds and some do not. What are the other areas that students well, not students, that stakeholders generally could approach a university to assist with resolving their, their concerns or, or issues? The immediate outlet um, is, is usually HR, human resources. And it is unfortunate because across the board, be it corporate, be it academia, but there's a very bad flag around the history and the role and alliances that sometimes HR would have, some people still believe that human resources is there to serve only, only management than people. So without testing them sometimes, you know, just using the assumption, HR is not allowed to do its work because people tend to hold back. So it's HR immediately, but also outside, you know, universities are unionized. Then people still have that option of going to their unions, and um, seems to be a space for then the more sort of employment areas of the institution. HR and unions kind of mostly would deal with the employment-related issues. Where else in the university could, for instance, students who are not employed, would they also go to HR? Probably not. No, no. They have, they have their own structures. I mean, there's the SRC. There's, um, if it's a classroom, you know, lecturing kind of dynamic, they have their class reps. So there are also those outlets. But ultimately, the idea is to have people being able to go closest to where the problem had occurred. Mm -hmm. So if the issue is with the lecturer, feel okay to approach your lecturer with your issue before you go to the third party. Before you kind of escalate. So some interesting principles there, the principle of dealing with the dispute at source. So with whatever structure is closest to you, so your student rep or your lecturer union or your HR practitioner, some universities certainly that we've dealt with would also have transformation officers who could, could be dealing with issues, sexual harassment officers who could be dealing with those issues. How do all of those work together in a big institution to ensure that, you know, nothing's falling through the cracks, so to speak? I'll be the first to tell you that there is potential confusion if there isn't sufficient 
unpacking of how these um, offices relate. For an example, people would come to the Ombuds office and complain about an issue that's supposed to go to the harassment office. Then my role as Ombuds, because remember, primarily I need to tell the university what structures don't work. Then I will ask, do you know that this office exists? Then the, if the person says no, I will then say, you know, but also assess if the issue can still be taken there. But if it's such that it was likely to land with my office anyway, then I deal with it. But ideally, people should use the structures that are there because the ombud does not replace, but supplements them. Then people need to know what's the difference between the transformation office, the sexual harassment office, and an office like mine. So where I was, there was at least, you know, a very, a very clear picture of the journey that you go there if you're not helped there then you go there and then you go there that's fascinating to because it really kind of points to how important it is to have a to have that dispute system designed so that the different offices and support mechanisms are known firstly and don't contradict each other I guess in in these situations a lot of work between them in order to make sure that disputes are dealt with effectively and stakeholders do feel heard and and thoroughly dealt with in these situations. Exactly. I used to tease the Human Resources Department and say, even though I was independent as ombud, I called them my first cousins because a lot of the complaints are complaints that that would otherwise be related to what they do. So that meant a closer relationship with them because it meant meeting every month, for an example, just to go through things and to help them improve the service. And it worked. Mm. It worked. Well, it sounds fascinating and certainly sounds like you would never have had a dull day in a position as, mm. as an ombud at a and And no two concerns that were raised were, were really similar in every aspect. But you will laugh at this one. I had a poster that says, if you feel stuck and you don't know where to turn, visit the ombuds office. Then, not expecting, we got a call. Somebody was driving a car and this person got stuck. <laughs> so surely this was a literal take on being stuck. But what do you do as ombud, whether or not the person is aware or not aware that this is brought to the right office? You get security, they get transport people to, to go and help. That's, so, that's interesting. interesting. Thank you very, very much for sharing with us just that very fascinating role and how it kind of could impact on any university, really, and, and certainly Thanks for the work done, and we look forward to chatting in future. Thank you so much for having me.